Curiously specific. Curiously specific. Curiously specific. Curiously specific. Curiously specific. It's going to be welcome, 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 welcome to the Curiously Specific About Dates and Locations podcast. Should we just call it Curiously Specific? Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Curiously Specific podcast. What are we Curiously Specific about? Dates and locations. Dates and locations. Okay. Is it Lloyd? Yeah, I was about to call you not Davis. We introduce ourselves. I'm Lloyd Davis. I know. I used to be not Davis. You're, you're Lloyd Shepherd. Yeah. I'm Tim Wright. Uh, so, start again. So, welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Curious Super book, book Club. This week we're talking about a book that we we don't agree on. This week you brought me to Wapping. I brought you to and Wapping. And then we are going to go off down into Kent. Yeah. Because you're yeah. a man of Kent, aren't I'm you? I'm a man of Kent. So what book is set in Wapping? What, what, uh, this book, a book that opens in Wapping. It's, it's not identified as Wapping in the book, but it is The Mystery of Edwin Drood by Charles Dickens. Curiously specific. An ancient English cathedral town? How can the ancient English cathedral town be here? The well-known massive grey square tower of its old cathedral, how can that be here? There is no spike of rusty iron in the air between the eye and it from any point of the real prospect. What is the state? And we're looking for drugs. It sounds the East End. We've parked up in the state. I've never done that before. And the police are in pursuit. <laughs> we're actually sat. We're actually sat in the churchyard, which is uh, St George's in the East, Nicholas Hawksmore Church. Uh, we're looking at a children's playground. We parked up. We walked through the state looking for drugs, and now we're hanging around in the children's playground. Yeah, that is in the spirit of the podcast, that is right in the there. Of the podcast, yeah, and, and in the spirit of Do creepy you know Charles Dickens, may I say, he wasn't as creepy as Thomas Hardy. Well, we, that's another podcast. He was quite creepy, though. This book is quite creepy. Is it creepy in a pervy way? I suppose it is mildly pervy. But you, but, but I, I love, I love this book because I think it's, it's mad, it's mad and it's inconsistent and it's incoherent. There's a great Angus Wilson introduction to the Penguin edition in 1974, where he basically says that Dickens started writing this book as like a thriller, a taut thriller, and mm. to try and keep up with the, like, the Wilkie Collinses of the world, mm. who, who was now his brother-in-law, right, by this stage. Nightmare. I know. When you're reading it, you kind of, you know, Dick, Dickens being Dickens is chucking all sorts of stuff in. And then literally by, by chapter five, you're like, mate, you're not in control. You don't know, you don't know where this is going. It's, it's crazy. It's a roller coaster of a story it that gets, you're not in control yeah, of. Yeah, he adds more and more stupid characters. And, and mate, I've been there. <laughs> Angus Wilson doesn't say this in the introduction, but it's kind of implied that this book literally killed him. Oh, come on. Come on. He wasn't very well. Because he he just couldn't keep on top of it. It does does feel like it's a story told by some excited child that goes, and then, and then, and then, and then. And And there are some ludicrous scenes which we're going to investigate. There are some ludicrous scenes. Like the weir. Why does that guy go to the weir and uh, decide that there's a funny... He gets a funny feeling that something's not right and comes back in the morning... And then just happens to find a watch glistening in the water. And, and on Boxing Day, when the water would have been about three degrees... Goes it dips in for a Strips swim. off just on the off chance that he might find something. You don't like this book, do you? I'm not a fan. You think it's a bit old man dancing at a wedding kind of stuff? Well, <laughs> my sense of it was, I felt, I felt a bit sad, actually, because I am a Dickens fan. Yeah. As you know, I'm a big Great Expectations man, yeah, yeah. which we could do another whole podcast on, yeah. we won't go there. 
but this book seems to be about a, a guy who used to lead the way and now he's a follower. He's following Collins and various other modern uh, sort of younger authors and, and trends in terms of Victorian melodrama. Yeah. And um, it's not his thing, and he's 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 quite naff at it. Yeah. And, like, I, and I've said to you, it's a bit like <clears throat> it's a bit when Bowie starts trying to make drum and bass albums. All right. So Edwin Drood is Dickens is earthly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is that when he stops leading and starts following and well, listening to younger people's music, it all goes a bit tits well, up. I quite like earthly. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> you definitely are in a minority there. You surely are. Anyway. The only way that gets any good anymore, I know we're not meant to be talking about that, but it is, is because at the end of his life he starts to synthesise those albums with his earlier work into something, into again, something more original. So, so he had to go through... He had to go through to that period, through, yeah. So Star. what I'm saying to you is that if Ed and Jude, if he hadn't, if Ed and Jude hadn't killed him, it might have led to a something, something great. Really, really interesting. Yeah, but as it is, because I, I do, there are bits of it that are brilliant. There are bits of it that are brilliant. There are, and the pacing is it starts off being brilliant because you you start off reading and you go, this doesn't read like a Dickens novel. It reads like somebody trying to write something tall and fast paced. But then you, you just can't keep up. Where, where does the book say we are? Well, it doesn't say Wapping. No. Does it, fact, it doesn't actually say London. No, it doesn't say London either. But he definitely does then leave, so he definitely gets up. We're talking about John Jasper, right? Yeah. It's, it's a great little setup, actually. He says, He is in the meanest and closest of small rooms. Through the ragged window curtain, the light of early day steals in from a miserable court. He lies dressed across a large, unseemly bed upon a bedstead that has indeed given way under the weight upon it, lying, also dressed, and also across the bed, not longwise, are a Chinaman, a Lascar, and a haggard woman. Very good. So I've got a little thing from Frederick Kitson, The Novels of Charles Dickens, a bibliography and sketch of 1897, who states that Dickens placed the scene of Jasper's opium smoking in a court just beyond the churchyard of St George in the East, Stepney. The Reverend Harry Jones, rector from 1873 to 1882, mentions that the old crone, Mm. Princess Puffer in the book, Mm. the old crone was known as Lascar Sal. Do you know what a Lascar is? No, not really. So a Lascar was a a sailor from Bombay. Okay, right, okay. A Lascar Sal, and was living at the time he wrote 1875. The John Chinaman, Mm. so there's a John Chinaman she mentions as being across the court. Okay. And she's very jealous of his business. Right. The John Chinaman of whom she was so jealous in her trade was George R. Singh, who died in 1889, resided at 31 Cornwall Road, St George's in the East. And at the inquest, it transpired that death was due to the rupture of a blood vessel accelerated by destitution. Oh there you go. God. Okay. When the novelist visited him, he kept an opium den in New Court, Victoria Street, which is where we're parked. That's where we are, right. Which used to be a house of call. A Chinese seamen coming to this country and others who indulge in the use of the drug. The particular den described in the story was pulled down some years ago, this is in 1897, right. to make room for a board school playground. <laughs> there you go. We're here. While the bedstead, this is good, the bedstead, pipes, etc., were purchased by Americans and others interested in curious relics. What? So I read a story somewhere else that an American... He visited, he visited, Dickens visited this place with an American friend and I read somewhere that the American friend did actually buy the bedstead that supposedly was the model for the yeah. spike 
the, the Jasper's lying on in the beginning. God, you wouldn't want that bed in your house, would you? It'd be filthy. <laughs> it would be very nice. Oh, indeed. You'd have to fumigate it. It would be very nice. Be unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so there, there's a playground. Yeah. He, he then lays certain silver money on the table, yeah. finds his hat, gropes his way down the broken stairs, yeah. gives a good morning to some rat-ridden doorkeeper in bed in a black hutch beneath the stairs and passes out. Well, either way, passes out. And that same afternoon, the massive grey square tower of an old cathedral rises from the sight of a jaded traveller. The bells are going for daily Vesper service. Right, so that's where we've got. So to get he gets to. from here to the great, the uh, that, the massive grey star. That same of an old afternoon, cathedral. and uh, we're going to have an interesting conversation too about how he got there, and it's going to involve trains, and it's going to involve timetables, and it's going to involve connections at Paddock Wood. Can we stop for a coffee? <laughs> yes. Curiously specific. Well, should we talk a little bit about how we think John Jasper would have got to back to Rochester? Okay. Yes. Do you want to wait until we're we're currently driving through the Isle of Dogs to try and find the Blackwall Tunnel because we are doing it by by car. There's a there's a few comings and goings between London and Rochester in the book. Or oh, sorry, Cloisterham, not Rochester. And there's quite a lot of debate about. Well, actually, there's not as much debate as you'd imagine about when when the book is set. But this business, how quickly they get from between London and Rochester, yeah, London. and their mention of a train, uh, uh, but it was it also obviously plays into our hands. But also, curiously specific podcast. But they don't arrive in Cloisterham, aka Rochester. Yeah, uh, they don't arrive there by train. They arrive there by carriage, and the reason for that is. Come on, then. I'm going to talk to you about train lines oh now. Okay. The London to Greenwich train line, yes, opened in 1838, and then there was a, a requirement to build a uh, train line from London to Dover. Yes. And there was lots of toing and froing about how they were going to do that. And, and this being Britain, it all ended up as being a bit of a, f- a, bit of a cheap fudge. So they, they basically found a way of joining up a bit of the London to Greenwich line with a bit of the Croydon, the London to Brighton line, and then driving a new line out from basically where I grew up, sort of Seven Oaks Way, or Norwood Junction, actually. Um, out to Dover yeah. and the reason for doing that was they didn't want to try and uh, build a bridge or a tunnel over the Medway right oh not Medway, surprisingly big 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 obstructions yeah, to get yeah, around yeah. big obstructions to get around so what they did is they, they, they chucked a, they chucked a train line out from basically from around Norwood Junction straight out to Dover and then in 1844 they opened a new bit of that line from Paddock Wood up to Maidstone. How do you know all this stuff? Because I because I care. God. So they, they opened up a new train line up from Paddock Wood to Maidstone. So in the book, there's quite a lot of mention of people getting a, a train and then a carriage. Yeah. So the contention of Wendy Jacobs, who wrote the notes to uh, Edwin Drood and quite a few other people, is that they're actually getting a train from London Bridge to Maidstone and then a carriage from Maidstone to Rochester or Cloisterham. Yeah. Okay. Maidstone sounds... Uh, more likely to me than yeah. Paddock Wood, yeah, because it's amazing. Paddock was a bit too far away, and the, they'd be taking a lot more post, wouldn't they? Yeah. Which means the book must be set ah. in or after eighteen forty-four. Perfect. Well done. Yeah. Well done. We always like it when you get to a date. There's a reference book to the uh, the unfinished railway, railway station. station, right? Which is presumably London Bridge. Okay. 
so we, but it used to be opened in 1838. It opened in 1838, but it's basically been extended and being, being rebuilt still, all the way to this the day. Street, to this day, <laughs> they still not finished the bloody thing, right? So basically, it's it's because these new lines are opening all out of London Bridge, right? Yes. So, so you've got keep one so it's all, they keep adding. So it is. It would have been a built, you know, a, a, an emerging station in right? 1844. In 1844. Okay. Now there is a mention then about Christmas, isn't there? Mm. There's a mention about Christmas falling on a Sunday. David Seabrook in All the Devils Are Here uses to date, actually to date the book in, I think, 1838. We'll, we'll check that in a minute. But you, you're saying, frankly, that's impossible because the train wouldn't the have train been there. The train wouldn't have been there. Good work. Okay. Good work. The train wouldn't have been there. So there's, there's a slight inconsistency. A slight in, inconsistency in a Dickens novel? No, no, in David Seabrook's analysis oh, of it. Oh, well, we're going to come to that. We're going to we're gonna come get to, to a location where... Well, we we'll explained why we would explain would, would we'll explain want it. that to be the case. But the, the, the Wendy Jacobs, without ever actually taking the issue head on in the in the well, one of our one of our discoveries recently has been the the note the Charles Dickens notes series. You've got the notes on oh, Great Expectations. My favourite book of all time. Yeah, you love it, don't you? Great Expectations. I've companion. got I've got the notes on Edward Drew, which is which is really oh good read by Wendy Jacobs. And uh, she never actually says what the date of the novel is. She never really takes that on. But she basically assumed it's 1844 because of this train, train stuff. So she's done the train research as well. She's done the train research. You, she, she, you, she researched you'd get on very well, wouldn't Me you? and Wendy would get on. Me and Wendy would get on. So I think it's 1844, maybe 1845. The big question still remains, why is it 1844? Why is he setting a book that he's writing in 1869, 25 years earlier? Oh, we're just going into the Blackpool Tunnel, folks. So we'll come back to that in a minute, folks. Oh. Curiously specific. So why have you brought me here? And where are we? Uh, we brought you here because of David Seabrook. Is this the All the Devils all Are the Here? All the Devils book? Are Here. So obviously, Edwin Drood, there's, there's all sorts of mysteries about Edwin Drood and who who killed who and is, is Edwin dead or is is he still alive and all this kind of stuff. There's various, various candidates as to who actually killed him, if, if anyone killed him. David Seabrook in All the Devils Are Here says... All the same, I'm going to offer the Druidists something. I'm going to offer them Richard Dad. And this is something that was written in uh, 1857, I think. It was during one of these walks that Dickens showed me in Cobham Park, which is right in front of you, the stile close by which, after a fearful struggle, Mr Dad had been murdered by his lunatic son in 1843. Dickens acted the whole scene with his usual dramatic force. Oh, God. And that's the stile right there. Oh, my God. Dickens had several first-hand sources of information about Dad. Augustus Egg was a member of his circle, and so was William Frith. Frith, in a letter relating his experiences as Dickens' guest, recalled a visit to Cobham, where Dickens was eloquent on the subject of the Dad parricide, showing us the place where the body was found, with many startling and interesting details of the discovery. In 1857, Dickens entertained William Hood at his London residence, Tavistock House, where they can hardly have failed to discuss the painter. So Richard Dadd was a... Uh, called Richard Dadd Path. called Richard Dadd Path. Hold on a minute. So this is... They've, they've made a cultural path out of a... Out of a murder. Uh, so Richard Dadd killed his father, Robert Dadd, in 1843. Okay. Um, beat him to death somewhere down somewhere here. Somewhere down here? Yeah, somewhere down here. Oh, my God. And uh, Seabrook's contention is that that was uh, a sort of an informing story behind Edwin Drood. He reckons that, that Edwin Drood is set in the same year that, that this The happened. dad murder took place. Yeah. So we're basically... We're a year out, because we're saying 1844, he's saying 1843. 
Right. Is it in there, maybe? They're supposedly, they're supposed what to be... What are they doing out here? They're walking, they're all bloody walking, weren't they? Everyone walked everywhere. There's supposed to be like a hollow in the ground, which is called Dad's Hole. But this is like going out to the site of Peter Sutcliffe's murder or something. <laughs> it's it? a bit weird, isn't it? I'm not feeling good about Dickens right now. <laughs> so do you think... Do you think yeah, Dad's Peter, hole, that's the, that where the cow shit is. Do you think he... Um, do you think people rather didn't look forward to dinner party invitations for the weekend in case... Can you imagine? I've got, I've got a little bit of a Come murder down for the weekend. Don't go. He'll do his dad's... <laughs> he'll do his dad's impression. <laughs> what do you mean his dad's impression? No, you won't like it. Richard Dad. You remember Richard Dad? Curiously specific. This is the first day of the week, Mr Crisp Arkle says, and the last day of the week is Christmas Eve. Right. right. The last day of the week is Christmas Eve, right? Yes. So, so it's the last day of the week, Friday? Saturday. Saturday. Saturday, right. So in 1920, Percy Carden, who wrote a whole book about it, used internal evidence to date the story. According to him, Christmas Day fell on a Sunday in 1836, 1842 and 1853. <laughs> OK. Those are the only... So, so Seabrook's got a whole thing about... Dickens disclosed that there was no railway to Cloisterham or Rochester at the time of the story, placing the date before 1853. Well, that, that's you know, fair enough. Full railway well, you, 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 that that yeah. seems fair. Um, and th- then, he got, then he's got this thing that, that no neighbouring architecture of lofty proportions has arisen to overshadow Staple Inn which he reckons is a reference to the building of the London Patent Office. So it's placed in the date before the mid-1840s. Most importantly, Chris Barkle and Neville, after dining in the capital, parted at the yet unfinished and undeveloped railway station, which can only refer to the construction of London Bridge Station in 1842. Well, London Bridge Station wasn't constructed in 1842. It first opened in 1838, and it was being built all the way through this period. Yeah, so, so it could be he's, anywhere. Right? He's asserting 1842 is the date for the book. Because, because the, he wants to tie it into this murder. Because, the, because he wants to tie it into this murder. If we accept 1842, we accept that the chronology of Edwin Drood would have covered the defining events of Dad's life. The novel opens in the autumn of 1842, right. when Dad and Phillips were on tour and approaching Egypt, and it stops short the following summer. The story of Edwin's disappearance is above six months old in the last completed chapter, which indicates that we have reached July 1843, which is when the murder happened. I like the fact that he... He's got on record that Dickens would come out here and uh, and reenact and reenact the murder. <laughs> That's really good because it does show that he was interested in this kind of ghoulish darkness. Yeah, and it also suggests that this murder was probably in his mind. If we if we accept, yeah. as lots of people don't accept, that actually Edwin Drood is dead and John Jasper killed him because he's a bit of a nutter. Yeah. Then this is the kind of model murder that would uh, that might inform that. Marvelous. So he would have been stood there, Dickens, going, going, and then, then he pulled a out a club <laughs> and beat his poor father to death. I think he would have stood like this. Right and here. now, lunch. <laughs> yeah, like this. And then he had an axe, and he did this. <laughs> and then, because he would have cut the artery, the blood would have gone spreading, like spreading this, right in your face. <laughs> <laughs> Dinner? Did anyone bring sandwiches? <laughs> Has the sandwich been invented yet? We're going in here? I guess. I guess. Oh, the cool part.
So this is uh, this is where you need to get your book out and do your little reading here, don't you? Standing in this crack. So this is according to David Seabrook. I think we can go around a bit further. So the dads were an established and respected Chatham family. On Monday the 28th, August 1843, father and son, Robert and Richard Dad, set off, reaching Cobham, Richard's choice, after a journey of about five hours from London. So that, that interestingly, five hours from London yep. to here, before okay. the railway opened, the year before the railway opened. They ate at a local inn, the ship, and accommodation was reserved for them in the village. It was evening now, and Robert was tired, but at Richard's insistence they went for a walk together in the park, where Richard attacked and killed him. The body was discovered early the following morning, and a search began. So remorseless was his determination, reported the Kentish Independent, that he had plunged the knife three times up to the hilt in the breast of his victim. Richard Devil's neck. So Richard legged it. Okay, what's going on here then? This is like bins. It's a dump, mate. It's a dump. It's a dump. It's stig. It's another stig dump. It's a school school dump. Where terrible things happen, not lovely things. Right. The spot things. selected for the murder was the most fitting that could be chosen for the perpetration of such an appalling crime. It is on the edge of a deep dell or ravine which is surrounded by a belt of ancient elms and through but a few paces from the high road the scene wears, wears an aspect of the deepest solitude. Can we just take a moment to look at those two seats with an iron bar on one of them? Very nice. Look, you, see the, you can see the dip. Oh my God. You can actually see it. Oh my God. It does feel like a very lonely place. That's it, that's Dad's Hole. That's really so cool. uh, David Seabrook came here. He's got a brilliant nettles and bracken stand in for elms, but an avenue of lime tree still leads down to Cobham Hall, now a girls' school in the middle distance, where they're having some kind of ding dong. The avenue itself, this is my favourite bit in the whole book, actually coming up. Really. Oh yeah. The avenue itself remains the property of the Darnley Estate. The spot on which I'm standing is included in 50 plus acres of land now owned by Joe Pasquale. Joe Pasquale. <laughs> Good stuff, huh? This is quite a creepy place. <laughs> so now we've got to imagine Dickens standing here with his with his weekend guests going, yes, and then he thrust the dagger into the three times, times up to the hilt. But he was dead after the first blow. Up to the hilt. Blood would have gushed everywhere. Apparently Kent police exercised their dogs here. <laughs> so I think now might be the time to leave. Very good. Wow, this is the place. All right. Well, this is um, Curiously Specific. Curiously Specific. Mr. Tope's official dwelling, communicating by an upper stair with Mr. Jasper's, was of very modest proportions and partook of the character of a cool dungeon. I think they're going for a cool dungeon look here. Yeah, it's good, it's good. I think it's a good idea. It's good. We've had a very nice meal here. It's a very nice lunch. We've, we've accidentally arrived in Rochester. In the middle of the, uh, thanks, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In the middle of the uh, Dickens Festival. The Dickens Festival. Yeah, there's lots of people dressed up in period clothes. Which neither of us knew about. No, it just happens, stance that, that it's all happening.
Um, the only thing I've seen that isn't just burger bars at a fairground, there are a few people in period costume, but including one dressed as Queen Victoria. Yeah. So it's not very Dickensy as yet, I feel. Well, it would only be Dickensy if there were people kind of puffing on opium. And <laughs> we could help them killing with that. each other. We, we're going to have a little walk around the cathedral precinct because we think we've, we've identified the three post gates, the gates into the cathedral. Well, that's interesting again. Grounds that that that, that uh, Wendy Jacobs says he based Jasper's lodgings on. Jasper's lodgings. Now, so you, there's the gatehouse that we're right next door when to. When you first come in off, off the high street, there's an amazing gatehouse with black weatherboard padding. It's great, isn't it? And that's what Jasper's house probably looked like from the outside. From the outside. Um, and, it, and it makes sense then that Datchery wants to live next door to keep an eye on him. Exactly, exactly, which is where we are. And but then, then there's also there's um, another gate, there's Prior's Gate. Prior's Gate, which is more like it would have been inside because it's bigger. Right. College Gate, which is where we came in. Yes. There's Deanery Gate House. Yes, okay. Which is probably more about the right size. And then there's Prior's Gate, which is probably in the right place. Oh, in terms of being so one, right within the cathedral. One looks right from the outside, one looks right from the inside, and one is in the right place. So can I, read you, can I read you something about what Luke Fildes said about these places? Yeah, please. Because it's quite, it's, it's quite pertinent to what we're up to. So all right, all right. Luke Fildes did the illustrations in... Uh, ah, the illustrator, very is good. That, is that right? I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the, in the edition of the book. No, I'm happy with and, that. And um, he was asked about, you know, where, where was Jasper's house? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he says, you see, I never felt the necessity or propriety of being locally accurate to Rochester or its buildings, which I like. Dickens, of course, meant Rochester, yet at the same time he chose to be obscure on that point, and I took my cue from him. I always thought it was one of his most artistic pieces of work, the vague, dreamy description of the cathedral in the opening chapter of the book, so definite in one sense, yet so locally vague... That can be our other podcast. Locally vague. Locally vague. So I, I think you're making my point again. Yeah, yeah, I am, yeah. That Dickens is not curiously specific. He's locally vague. It's more of a he's feeling. He's more of a feeling. He's artistic about but even, it. But even on Dickens Festival Day, right, yeah. you do arrive here, you park in the multi-story out in the wasteland by the railway station. Yeah. Odd, odd yeah, kind yeah. of landscape. Yeah. You walk in under a tunnel yeah. and you come up into Rochester mm-hmm. and you see the cathedral with the big spike yeah. tower yeah. next to the you know Norman Castle right next to each other. Yeah. Quite high up above the river, and it's quite picturesque. It is quite, quite striking. Atmospheric. It is quite striking. You've got the sun. Yes, yeah. I have. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh look, there's a couple of Victorian bobbies on stilts. Oh, Victorian <laughs> bobbies on stilts. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to say that today. So we need to um, describe to the listeners what the hell is going on here. <laughs> so we're walking down the high street of uh, yeah. Rochester. It's the Dickens Festival. It's the Dickens Festival. The Dickens we didn't Festival. know that, did we? Didn't we didn't know when we arrived. So essentially, I've just walked past the spirit of Christmas yet to come, view, yet to come, and the spirit of Christmas. And we we walked past Fagin Christmas as past. well. We walked past Fagin with the fake nose. Um, and there's a number of people just dressed up in bogus Victorian garb, including basically. a couple with a huge perambulator, with a little a very small plastic doll. Very odd. <laughs> it was a bit weird, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. It's a combination of sort of Dickensian tribute and then the Kentish Paul. There's probably about as many tattoos on display here as there would have been in the sailing heyday of the 19th century. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so it's quite a, quite a heady combination. <laughs> it's extraordinary. Fair play to the Indian restaurant called The Taste of Two Cities. Well played, well played. Well played. Well played. 
well played. Um, the, the green gross is called Pips, <laughs> which was, uh, was my favourite. Yeah. We're moving off the main car. To, I, I'm, why there's, there are a bunch of Scottish bagpipers here? That is, I don't get that. I, at all. I don't I'm remember. Mullen Kintyre. Yeah, is that in, uh, is that a Dickensian ditty? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, um, so it's 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 uh, it's, uh, it's rammed though. It's busy. It's absolutely heaving. We've just had a very nice lunch in Tope's house. Tope's house, which claimed to be the genuine house of Mr. Tope, as yeah. if Mr. Tope was a real person. Well, that, that happens. It's weird, isn't it? The whole town's got this weird kind of. Is it real? Or is it fiction? Uh, so they're having a mayor's service. service. They didn't let you in. They wouldn't let me in. You didn't like the cut of your jib. Didn't I? Did, I did, I'm not really dressed for it. Because we could find the choir master, don't you think? Because I'm out the front there. I, I got a picture of the mayor, two vicars, uh, some bloke with a that ceremonial garb. They are, they're all here, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should yeah. go and burgle some houses? <laughs> they're all suspects. The graveyard is here. The great, well, burial ground, yeah. The burial ground is a, here, which is very a, atmospheric. Just seen the grave for uh, Mr. Dorrit. Yeah. 1837. Yeah. So... Again. Charles, Charles didn't use the phone book to make up his name, so he uh, popped down here. Say what you see. What you see. We're standing outside the deanery gate. Yeah, so now we've seen the three places. Three, three. This is called the sextry gate. That's <laughs> Andrew's Priory. Are you laughing at sextry gate? Sextry. Let's go to the sextry. Tim was privately educated, everybody. Um, but yeah, no, he's... Um, Why did they change it to deanery? So this is the right size. Ah. But it's in the wrong place. What, the whole of this would be, he'd live in the whole of that? No, the, I mean the upstairs. Upstairs bit, because it's, it's double wider, fronted. Because it's wider. So this is the one that's the right size. The right size. The one at the, one the, at the back, back is, is in the right place. In the right place. And the one at the front is looks right from the outside. You see? I get you. So the one at the back is near... near. Um, that makes more sense, it, because it'd be precinct. part of the gang. They'd the all precinct, live, they yeah. all live on the same street, the and they all know each other's business. Just around the corner from Septimus. Yes, yeah, so basically we saw that there's a, that row of houses. It makes so much more sense. Mine, the idea that it's very gossipy, very gossipy enclosed very places. Gossipy. You look out the window, you can see everybody's business. It's just the perfect place to have a murder mystery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a bit of a shame that you slightly drop the ball on it. It's a bit midsummer murders, yeah, actually, it really isn't is. it? It really is. That's what I was thinking I was going around it. Or Inspector Morse. <laughs> no, more midsummer murders. Yeah. <laughs> I really thought the graveyard would be bigger. Yeah. Because of Durdle staggering around well, in no, it and seeing ghosts and stuff. Well. Are there? There aren't many though. Oh yeah, yeah, but it's not it's not big, is it? No. I thought it'd be bigger. Very small. Which is maybe why he had to kind of invent it a little bit. But it just feels like that. It, I thought it was going to be more gothic and sort of shadowy and gaps where you know well, you more haunted. Should come in the winter. Yeah, that's what I felt. Yeah. Still, I like it. I like it. I like it as a setting. Like that's what's interesting, isn't it? The the, the the emergence of the kind of modern thriller. Yeah, with Wilkie Collins and uh, Poe and Conan Doyle later on, and he can't do it. He can't crack it. It's too it's man too, out of time. It's too compressed. He had to die. It's man too, out of time. It's too compressed. Yeah, exactly. he'd had his he'd had his golden heyday. Like David Lean in films. He's just gone. It's like David Lean trying to do a Mission Impossible movie. <laughs> Can you imagine how bad that would be? It'd be really bad. Yeah, yeah. It'd be really bad. Yeah. That's good. Two analogies we've now had is David Lean doing Mission Impossible yeah. and Bowie doing, doing drum, Do and Bowie bass. drum and bass. Yeah. 
<laughs> Englishman out of, the, out of, the, out of their depth. <laughs> or Hans, not this. Go round. Damascus, Orans. Damascus. No prisoners. <laughs> this is a profanity-free podcast. Sorry, it's clearly cobblers. Incent, in, in, incorrect. Dickensian cobblers. So we're now what seven or eight miles upstream from Rochester, and no weir. There's no weir, and the the, the river is is really wide still and quite deep. We've just we've just met a chap on a bike who was also a bit lost, but he said he was from around here. He didn't know of a weir around here. No. So. I think the weir is an invention. Guess what? Yeah, he made it up. But is it the most egregious invention we've come across yet? Everything else he's described has been sort of, you know, synthesis of Rochester or something like that. This is just a complete fiction, yeah. right? Well, it's just a, it's the device to find the watch, isn't it? That's what it is. So if we were if we were uh, attending a Charles Dickens speaking tour, you'd be at the back of the room going when when he asks if there are any questions. Oh, he'd be yes, in the back yes, of the going, Mr. Dickens. Yeah, me, Mr. Dickens. And he'd go, It's that guy again. It's that guy it's again. It's the weird guy. He's on about Cloister and Weir. Is there any security here? But Ordnance Survey says there's a footbridge here, and I can't, there's not, I can't see a footbridge. No. Why a weir? Of I'm, all the things he could yeah. have, of all the ways he could have discovered. Have you ever seen that play, The Weir? No. So obviously, the relentless sort of rushing of the water. Yeah. And um, the darkness and the fact that lots of children died in, w- in weirs over the years. Yeah. It's, a, it's a definitely a sort of dark symbol of doom, okay. doom and... So he wanted a weir. I think and he, he, was prepared to inv- he was prepared to invent one. Yeah. I think he also wanted to think about Mr Chris Sparkle in the nudie doing a swim. Okay. No, you brought, you brought, you, you know, I was with you up until, I was with you on the gothic imagery, <laughs> but on the slightly pervy, <laughs> slightly pervy Christian perviness, that's just not on. <laughs> so anyway, we th- is we're, it, is it, is we're it saying the only, there's no weir. Is it the only example of full nudity in Dickens? Oh, good question. Good question. I can't think of another example. Mm, mm. Right, we've gone round the bend in the river. It's still no weir. Really All, a bucolic, peaceful scene as we enter the upper medway. And no weir. And there's no weir. And the footpath. Walk this, though, the footpaths it? come to an end as well. Well, all these seashells on here. Where are weird. these are from? Quite odd, isn't it? Well, we've I seen some what's crunching on the floor, and it's actually seashells. We've seen some places today. Are we going to go and try and Neville find Neville's pub? Neville's pub. Let's go and find the pub. Okay. 
curiously specific. Cheers, Cheers. I got you to a pub. We've ended up. We've ended up. We started off in uh, Wapping. We ended up in a pub called the Green Man. This is this is basically how you want to end all these podcasts, isn't it? In a pub. Essentially, yes. That's my plan. We're in the Green Man in Longfield Hill. I haven't made you eat any Dickensian victuals. What no. we should be doing is having a fried sole and a pint of sherry. Well, I had, I had fish and mussels. That's quite Dickensian. Didn't have a pint of sherry though. Didn't have a pint of sherry, no. Mm. I'm never of, doing that. And a pint of Whitstable IPA. It's very, very tasty. That was quite nice. So we're in the Green Man in Longfield Hill because we uh, there's a scene in the, in Drood where Neville Landless. The supposed, or everyone thinks is the man who killed Edwin Drood, um, goes for a walk. Neville Landis has started so early and walked at so good a pace that when the church bells began to ring in Cloisterham for morning service, he was eight miles away. As he wanted his breakfast by that time, having set forth on a crust of bread, he stopped at the next roadside tavern to refresh. So... He finds a place called the Tilted Wagon, a cool establishment on the top of a hill, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where the ground before the door was puddled with damp hoofs and trodden straw, where a scolding landlady slapped a moist baby with one red sock on and one <laughs> wanting in the bar. That's very Dickens, isn't it? Where the cheese was cast aground upon a shelf in company with a mouldy tablecloth and a green-handled knife in a sort of cast-iron canoe. This is beginning to sound like Dickens does TripAdvisor. <laughs> Where the pale-faced bread shed tears of crumb over its shipwreck in another canoe. <laughs> Where the family linen half-washed and half-dried led a public life of lying about. <laughs> Where everything to drink was drunk out of mugs, and everything else was suggestive of a rhyme to mugs. <laughs> and we reckon it's a five-mile walk from Gad's Hill, from Ch- Charles Dickens's house, right? Yeah. Via... Cobham, Cobham the, Hall the, Park. Yeah, yeah. Via the murder Where scene. Richard Dead was killed. Yeah. So, so we quite like this. All in a day's walk for him. He goes out, goes to Cobham, comes here. Doesn't like... Does a little sketch. Doesn't like the pub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Says a bad lunch. Well, shit. Goes home, writes it up, writes goes, it up. Oh, all right, now I've got a pub. Yeah, yeah. So we quite like this. The Green Man, Longfield Hill. Yeah, I reckon, I think that's quite good. So uh, what have we learned today? Now, um, what have we learned today? Cloistrum is only... In Incidentally, Rochester. <laughs> well, we we discovered what we always thought about Dickens. I suppose is that business of we were drawn to this book because it is very obviously about Rochester, yeah. and it does say it's Christmas Day on yeah, Sunday, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we can say, oh, it's 1844. Then, yeah, yeah. so we can do all the things we like to do. Yeah. Curiously specific about Dane location, but actually, when you come out here and look at it, you realise. No, he's done the right thing, and he's smushed things, locations up, and he's um, shifted time. And how well, it's quick, like we've both he's said, done all those tricks. We've both said repeatedly, haven't we? He's not really a details person. Really not. He's in a hurry. And and the he's a man in a hurry. Which means he's not a thriller writer. It hangs together. So, are we saying that if he'd been more curiously specific, the book would be would, might have been resolved and been done? Well, before he snuffed it. You might not have killed him. I don't know. I think I'm, I'm quite signed up for the, book, the fact that the book was just too deep. He was just like, it, you know, he was like you. He couldn't really do train timetables, and at the end of the day, it killed him. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Sleepy time has full of you.
curiously specific.